Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on a Sunday in the news bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, beginning in verse 28 and ending with verse 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Well, friends and fellow followers of the Way of Jesus, welcome back to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast. Uh, this Sunday is actually the first Sunday of Advent, uh, but we're going to cover all of that stuff in person. But if you're looking for resources, for help, for understanding on what Advent is, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we might even do a bonus podcast to kind of explain some of that. But today we're going to focus primarily on our next scripture reading in the Gospel of St. Matthew. Now, at the beginning of our Sermon on the Mount studies, I asked a couple questions. Who are your influencers and teachers? Because it's important, I think, for us to reflect on that fact. Who is influencing and shaping and forming me? What is the quality and impact of their me- their message? And how does their message match up with like their personhood? Like, do they actually live it out? Do they follow their teaching? Do they pretend to be an authority on a subject, but then in private or something different? That's a tough spot to be. I'll be honest for me as a teacher and as a preacher. I think my hope is that the message that I'm giving is clear that Jesus is the real teacher. Jesus is the real person that we are following. And I'll be honest with you, my teaching is not a full reflection of my life because often I'm teaching something that I'm 
hearing Jesus speak in the in the scriptures and him wanting to grow into it simultaneously. But one of the key questions that comes up, I think, with every influencer and every teacher that we have to ask as followers of Jesus is how do they handle or interact with the source materials? Now, the source materials are this, you, you like how do they, what's the impact that they have on people? But there's also an even more important source material, which is how do they interact with scripture? And the reason this is important is because, especially in our culture today, whether it be an, uh, an influencer who is an atheist or some other form of spirituality or activism or health, you know, mental health, physical health, emotional health, whatever. But also there's all these, this societal ideologies that are being pushed and taught and indoctrinated and catechized in our world today. But all of them are working off of or responding to or even disagreeing with the Christian scriptures, or at least what they understand those to be saying. So it's actually a really important point. And what we're going to see here in this section is that Matthew is drawing a comparison between how Jesus functions and handles and interacts with source materials here versus how others do, specifically in this case, the scribes, but also we'll look a little bit at the Pharisees. What this does, though, is it forces us to ask and assess, what is my relationship with the scriptures right now? And the right now piece of that is important because there's so much flux going on in our world. For many who have grown up following Jesus, there's big pressures and questions that are coming at them right now that are making them reassess how they relate to Jesus, how they understand the scriptures, and how they interact with the scriptures. So some key questions I think we need to ask here from the outset are, do the influencers and teachers that we are listening to leave us feeling the same way we see the crowds feeling here with Jesus? Do we feel astonished by the good news? Because that's how Matthew describes the response of the crowds. They've heard the whole Sermon on the Mount, all of Jesus' high teaching, and what it's left them with is a sense of astonishment. And I think we need to kind of raise our standards of who we choose for influencers and teachers in our lives, that it should leave us feeling absolutely astonished. So let's look at what this means here in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the response of the crowds to Jesus' presence and his teaching is this pure astonishment. You feel astonished when you experience something which you've never experienced before. Something you didn't think was possible. That's what astonishment comes from. Is when you're exposed to something you didn't know existed. Something that opens up a new paradigm of understanding. Astonishment is the shock that you feel when witnessing true beauty and wonder that you couldn't have dreamt up. What is the beauty and wonder of Jesus' teaching? I think it comes down to a few things, but it's the heights of goodness. 
Like hearing the whole Sermon on the Mount raises the bar of what goodness is. But also what Jesus does is give unapologetic clarity. Because clarity is kindness. Clarity answers deeply held questions and brings calm to doubts and disbelief. So Jesus's ability to just go, I'm just going to give it to you straight and give it to you honest is really quite helpful. And you know that if you've ever worked with somebody who hasn't given you clear objectives or clear job descriptions or clear expectations, what it leaves you with is in an anxious state of not knowing. Jesus is clear. The other thing Jesus does in his teaching is draws us into participation by asking us to think and stirring us to feel. Even his usage of story and imagination puts us into interacting with these truths. And where it all leads to, I think, is that when you hear Jesus teach, it invites you into faith. Somehow, what Jesus is teaching, he is all simultaneously saying he's making it possible and he's offering it to you. So the astonishment is not just, I can't believe this exists. It's also, I can't believe this is possible and I can't believe even I could participate in this, that this could become true of me. That's what Jesus is teaching all through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew goes on saying the reason they were astonished is for he was teaching them as one who had authority. What gives Jesus' teaching so much authority? That's this idea of power and influence that requires obedience. That it, it, it so proves its preeminence over everything else that it has authority. The first thing that we have to consider is Jesus' divinity, that he's God. When we hear Jesus' teaching, we receive the scriptures right from the divine source. And Chris Austin talks about this a bit. He says that Jesus isn't relying on the names of other prophets like Moses to kind of convince you that he should have influence and authority. Instead, he's using his own name. Even when he's establishing laws, he begins with words like, and I say to you. So there's this sense of like God has come down to speak directly to us. God is teaching here. God is preaching. And we all can hear him. There isn't some other mediator. It's that God is speaking directly to us. And the presence of that carries with it a great deal of authority. The other part that gives Jesus so much authority, I think, is his humanity. Jesus lives out a perfect relationship with the scriptures. And so what we see, like when you unpack the New Testament and you start to look at the way Jesus lives, we see that Jesus does it all. Jesus receives the scriptures just as we all do. So it's a, it comes down through history and Jesus is okay with that. 
Jesus sees the hand of God safeguarding the scriptures, as Paul talks about in the beginning of Romans. This is how Jesus does it. He receives the scriptures from the heritage of Israel as a gift. But then Jesus personally respects the scriptures as authoritative. So his teachings are in line with them. But what we see on a more personal level is that Jesus loves the scriptures. Like he trusts the scriptures when he's going through hard and difficult times. And what comes out of Jesus and his emotions even is like scripture rich. So Jesus feels the scriptures. They're so intrinsically genuine to him. This is why I think people get you know, they have lots of questions about this with the Christian faith because we have such a high view of the Bible, not only because we see God's divine hand, you know, hand over it and fingerprints in it and voice in it and, and the way scripture talks about itself, that it's God breathed and, and able to pierce between bone and marrow and all this stuff. So there's all that, the way scripture speaks of itself and understands itself and the way scripture has impacted human history. But ultimately for us, like our greatest high view of the scriptures comes because of the way Jesus interacts with them. Jesus loves them. Jesus trusts them. And when you put Jesus in a hard situation, like say the temptation in the wilderness, what comes out of him that's even greater than his feelings at the time are the scriptures. Because Jesus trusts them. The other thing that we see, even as he grows from a boy, is that Jesus knows and understands the scriptures. He studies them. He's a student of them and he gets them. On a mental level, Jesus gets them. And then we see Jesus works out and follows the scriptures with his actions. It's not a theoretical knowledge. It's a working knowledge of the scriptures. And so his teaching is fully embodied. So his teaching is rooted in the historical faith that is detailed in the scriptures. It's congruent with it. Jesus' teachings are deeply personal. They come from deep within his heart. They're well thought out and clear, precise. Jesus knows how to work those teachings out into real life actions and functions. So his teaching is dealing with the whole person, the inner life, the mind of the person, the actions of the person, the reality of the world that they live in. Jesus is working in all of it. And then when he teaches, Jesus teaches the scriptures for the benefit of others. So it's motivated by love for others. And the other side of that coin is that Jesus is confident in the scriptures as being beneficial for people. He intentionally summarizes, gives them, expounds upon the teachings of the scriptures to help others. So if this is the view that Jesus has and the relationship that Jesus has with scripture, this is where his authority really starts to come from. But it doesn't end there. 
Jesus also has authority when he teaches because of his death and his resurrection. Because Jesus ultimately fulfills the scriptures. So when he's teaching this stuff on the law, on expectations, on how to relate to God, all of it is taking the source material of the scriptures and then giving clarity and precision and possibility to it. Because Jesus is the story. Jesus is the purpose of the scriptures. Jesus is the content. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the completion of the scriptures. That all of it has been foreshadowing him. All of it is about talking about his work within the world to create the world, to save the world, to redeem the world, to recreate the world. His death and his resurrection are the absolute center of the whole content of the Holy Scriptures. Then when he, when he speaks of what his his role is going to be with his ascension. He's saying that he will be the one the world has to answer to. He will be the one that will sift the hearts of humanity to go, I, God, your creator, have been speaking. And my message that I've been speaking to you is one, is a good news of salvation through me, the Son the crucified Savior, the Lamb who was slain. And so the end of it all, the judgment that Jesus speaks about in the Sermon on the Mount, is him doing it. Whether or not the teachings, the scriptures were believed, followed, trusted upon, and rightly taught. This is how Jesus teaches. As he goes, I get where it comes, it's the origins of the scriptures because I am them. I know how to follow, apply, trust in, and walk out the scriptures because I'm fully human. I know the absolute heart of every text is about the crucified Savior who will resurrect and rise again, making all of this new life possible. So I know how to lead you to a new life because I'm the way of life. And at the end of all days, I will judge all things because I myself am the authority that will do the judging. This is wild. Nobody on earth makes claims like this. This is what makes Jesus so unique. Now, where others have made these claims, their lives have shown that they cannot live up to these claims, and their deaths have proven it. With Jesus, not even death can triumph over him. With Jesus, the resurrection proves his authority. So let's say... Let's put ourselves into the shoes of the crowds here. This is intense teaching. Super high bar. Like you recognize you can't get there. But Jesus somehow makes you believe this is right and possible and desirable. And then Jesus says that he's going to judge the world and whether or not they follow it. But yet that doesn't feel like an outlandish claim to the crowds who are listening to Jesus. 
They don't walk away and leave him. Instead, what we see in chapter 8, which is coming up in the following verse, in verse 1, the crowds actually don't come down from the mountain until Jesus comes down. So they are sticking with him, following him after hearing this teaching. And that in itself is a miracle. We think back to the to um, the book of Exodus, when Moses is given the law at Mount Sinai and God gathers the people after redeeming them from Egypt at the base of the mountain and the mountain's on fire <laughs> and there's thunder and earthquakes and God says, come to me. <laughs> and the people are like, no way. There's no way we're going up there. This thing is terrifying. So they send Moses instead. Because the people are fleeing from the power of God because his holiness and standard and goodness are terrifying. But what we see here in the Sermon on the Mount is Christ takes the people up the mountain. Sure, the high standards are scary. They're even terrifying when you realize how far you are from achieving them. But rather than flee from God's holiness, Jesus creates a comfort level and a confidence to go, I have no idea why I'm here. <laughs> I do not qualify to enter God's presence. I'm not living this, nor do I even think I can in my own strength and power. But Jesus compels me to follow him up the mountain and to refuse to leave him because he's so perfect, so attractive, and it's the safest place in the world I've ever been because it's simultaneously the high standard that I long for. And I know that somehow Jesus is the means of salvation from my current life and an ascension into the life that I know I'm made for. There's no teacher like Jesus. And this is what Matthew points to. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The comparison that Matthew makes here is in reference to the quality or lack of quality of the teaching that they're receiving from the scribes of the synagogue at this time. And we know this frustration. Like where you, you hear a teacher or you hear an influencer or I mean, it's tough these days with TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that because it's all about some person with this really annoying YouTube voice, super cut with no pauses, spouting facts. And we, sure, it's interesting. Wow, that's an interesting fact. But it's not like the teacher is in your life and, and helping you into change and transformation. He's not moving you into a new reality. It's just peppering you with information. The scribes in the time of Jesus, though, are more probably into this category of going, their specialties are on history, obviously the language of the time, and arguments of interpretation. And this 
kind of scribal teaching, this way of teaching to go and way of relating to the scriptures of just going, we need to get the proper interpretation, has behind it this idea that somehow knowledge saves. The Pharisees, on the other hand, have a different kind of emphasis. Yes, it's about interpretation, but it's about rules and expectations. They're more like lawyers, but they're also kind of privileged hypocrites because the primary message is you got to fix yourself and the way your life is is a result of you. And God is looking down on your life and either it's pleasing to him and you're thriving or there's sin and sickness and you're a failure and God hates you. And the, the message that's underlying that is strength saves, wealth saves. Your ability to do good determines your life and your standing before God. This is common today. This push to go somehow I just need the right information and then if I, if I can agree to the right information, I'm okay. And this other side that says you just need to take your life Pull up your bootstraps and fix yourself. One of the podcasts I like listening to, it's not a Christian one, had um, a comedian on this last week whose name is, Chris, I forget her name. But her primary message is you've got to heal yourself. That is the worst news to a sick, broken person. Sure, we have a role to play, but what we really need is a rescuer. And when you look back through the Old Testament, there's other examples. You know, the false prophets that tend to what they tend to do is move outside or beyond the word of the Lord. And their message seems to always find a way to approve of whatever the world is approving. It's like their primary message is all is well and that pleasure saves and change is not needed. And I, I see all of these voices at work, but Jesus comes in with a singular message that is saying only I, Jesus, can save. I am the only way. And salvation is needed and costly and necessary. But I will accomplish all of it. The church needs to be filled again with preaching and teaching that is so Jesus-centered and focused and glorifying that knows how to work it out in real life with real nitty-gritty problems and in real darkness that doesn't just pretend that somehow the gospel is this lovely thing that we talk about but let's stay away from talking about the stuff that makes us uncomfortable about our lives. We need all of it. We need a high, glorious teaching of God's holiness and goodness. We need a real nitty-gritty salvation where the rubber meets the road. And we need fire-burning testimonies coming from our guts of the fact that Jesus has saved, is saved, and will save. 
The people are tired of hearing biblical knowledge without gospel. They're tired of being told from Christian pulpits that they need to functionally save themselves. And they're tired of the false promises of false prophets that say everything is good and you don't need to repent. The reality is we need a Savior and we have a Savior and he is present and he is working and he is available. This is a gospel worth filling a church for. And it's a gospel that makes you show up on a Sunday because you need it. And you need, and you know you can count on it. And you know you're going to hear good news. And you know you're going to leave changed because you've seen Jesus. And you followed him up that mountain. And you're leaving more like him than you came. As we bring our time to a close today, I think we have to ask one last question, and that is, how can we practice this? And I would just offer four quick, simple things. Simply not simple. Turn down the volume on all the other voices, especially in this Advent season. Turn it all down. Choose wisely and turn it down and then prioritize the teachings of Jesus. Prioritize hearing it direct from Jesus. I love podcasts. I love preachers. I love teachers. But honestly, friends, just read the words of Jesus. Read the whole story of Jesus. Thirdly, see the good news of salvation in all of the scriptures. See it. And then lastly, let your hearts be filled with astonishment as you receive, participate, and practice the way of Jesus.